and welcome to the Down to Earth podcast. My name's Danielle, and I'm joined in this project by friends Marie, Chris, and Anne Lore. We are four students at Imperial College's business school studying for our MSc in climate change, management, and finance. We've recorded this introductory episode on a surprisingly snowy day in London, which is perhaps the perfect time to talk about climate change and sustainability. So step on in and have a listen as we briefly explore how our very different histories and interests motivated us to join this course as well as to start this podcast. Before we begin, I'd just like to give a brief editor's note. Much like the rest of the world, we also are all working from home. So please excuse any noticeable changes in or differences in voice quality throughout the episode. Thank you and enjoy. Imperial College London from Madagascar. Um, yeah, I'm studying climate change, finance, and management with you guys. Yeah, so my name is Danielle, and I'm, uh, what am I not? Uh, I'm a physicist, I'm a classicist, I'm an artist, and now I'm a sustainability queen, as I like to say on LinkedIn. My interest in sustainability primarily came from my love of studying systems, which is something I did a lot in physics. Um, and I was always looking for, you know, I was always looking to study different systems at different levels. And that's kind of what physics is. It's always about simplifying something to the barest bones that you can possibly get it, studying it really well, and then fluffing it up again to see how the whole thing works together. So that kind of thinking somehow led me to sustainability. I'd heard about sustainability in like college, um, I think like in my second year and Mm. was immediately like, I want to do that thing and I want to use physics to figure that out, you know? That's really cool because you got the academic introduction and mine was more like on the side because it was like always something that was not really introduced. I studied economics and politics in my undergrad and it's more like a blind passion that I followed from a friend who just asked me to come to one of their conference in the lecture and it was the sustainable development association of the of the university of edinburgh and yeah just ended up being really involved and like creating workshops and just like having some panel discussions with professors and yeah it was just very very interesting wait i kind of love that and it's interesting that you say that because i feel like my thing was also very passion related because so many people were like as a physicist, you're meant to, you know, you're meant to work in a lab, you're meant to do this. And I would just be like, no, no, like, I want to do sustainability in physics. And so that to me, like, I was very much treated like it was like a, like a passion slash off the beaten path mm. sort of route rather mm. than very academic. So mm. I find that like, it's, that's pretty interesting. Cool. Yeah. My turn? <laughs> yes, go for it. Okay, so uh, my name is Marie. I am French originally, uh, grew up a little all over the place. And um, sustainability for me is is kind of like a long lost passion that, that I had forgotten about along the way, and then it came back when I was an adult. Mm. So, fun fact is that when I was like, I don't know, like nine or ten, I created a club with one of my friends at school uh-huh. where we would try to protect. It was called like, uh, I mean, if I translate it in English, like uh, protect the nature and the animals. And we would, like, do, like, little posters and come to school and be like, guys, stop, like, 
Oh over putting the, the the rabbit that we have in school because it's yeah. it's he clearly doesn't feel good about that. <laughs> Anyways, uh, that's like the Greta so, approach to climate change. That's pretty. That's intense. That's the Marie. most genuine approach. Yeah. Like that's so nice. Yeah. And then then you know I became a teenager and I lost interest in all things and started hating my parents. <laughs> uh, and I think so that my background, my academic background, is in finance. And I, I think along the way, I realized that I wasn't going to be happy just working in an institution that makes money yeah. in completely unethical ways and essentially profits of, you know, the destruction of the environment and mm-hmm. of societies. Mm-hmm. And so I started looking for other inspiration. And I did this internship in Peru where I was able to, you know, meet so many people here, but so many cool environmental initiatives and I think that's when I realized, okay, like this is really what I want to do with my career yeah. and what I want to do with my life. And it is possible to do it also. Because mm-hmm. I think that's a lot of people's ideas that, okay, this is like so, such a dream, you know, like yeah. no one gets to do this. You're not, or if you do, you're not going to earn any money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which isn't the case. And so, and so then I like start looking at masters and I'm here with you guys. Nice. That's super nice. Um, I kind of want to jump on what you said about growing up all over the place. Like, do you think your international experience kind of shaped your view of sustainability? Did it craft it for you? Or or how, how did that affect your relationship to climate change? I think it's, it's not, it didn't, okay, I guess it doesn't, it didn't shape my view on like the environmental side of things, because that's mm. an universal truth, right? Yeah. Um, but I think it shaped my view on, what like inclusivity of developing countries mm-hmm. and sustainability giving them a voice instead of having you know like the white people coming in and mm-hmm. being like they're too dumb to say what they mean mm-hmm. and let me create programs for you mm-hmm. i think there's there's still these problems in the sustainability approaches somewhere of some people mm-hmm. and so i think that's i would say that's how it shaped my view i don't know if that okay. answers your question I feel like that's a really interesting point to bring up because I think that one of the main interests, at least speaking for myself and I know for Anne Laura as well, is to bring in like much more, um, I don't know, much more knowledge and awareness about indigenous practices and mm-hmm. how climate change affects indigenous populations. Go yeah, ahead, Yeah, I think Chris. I'll jump in here and yes, uh, introduce ahead. myself. So uh, yeah, I'm Chris. Um, so I did economics at undergraduate level um, and my story I think there's a bit of similarity between me and Marie about kind of like how we I think the sustainability journey Um, because in a way when I look back I kind of had interest in it when I was younger Mm. but as I got older I kind of completely forgot I had the interest that passion um, I kind of fell back into it Mm. Um, so when I was younger in South Africa oh I forgot to say that as well South Africa originally Um, but you had to do a, a science competition around I think the age of about let's say nine or ten and at that age, I created um, this renewable city. Um, and it was kind of this idea that it's like fully sustainable on its own. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I kind of got like, like a, like a bron- bronze prize for that and really enjoyed that. And that was kind of something different at that age. Damn. Um, what got yeah, first? Chris, be flexing. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, got, yeah, what got the yeah. gold, if not a renewable city? Like, I would think that that <laughs> at least hits like all the marks. Uh, I think I've got to say it was a bit more just like the idea rather than the actual setup, right? That's right, that's um, right. But it was still kind of a, a fun exercise to be part of, mm. um, especially at that age, because it was just kind of like exciting. Mm. 
mm-hmm. um, thinking of the future and c- creating your own little future in a way. Yeah, amazing. Um, but then, yeah, I kind of just got into the mindset of just kind of business, finance, um, kind of making a bit of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but and th- then when I was at university, I kind of joined the finance uh, club and we had this thing where every year you got to go to London to visit some banks. And this is probably, so I got to go three years in a row, kind of 2016, 17, 18. And then this one thing or this theme kind of always started slowly creeping through. And that was the idea of like ESG investing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of felt quite, I guess, niche in 2016. But then mm-hmm. 2018, it was suddenly kind of the, the talk of the town. Mm-hmm. Um, and that actually led me to do my dissertation on that. Um, and I kind of looked at whether companies who have high ESG ratings, whether they get a higher return on their, their stock performance. Um, and that that's really almost like how I found the masters because I really enjoyed that and trying to understand kind of what is the story, um, what is the evidence as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really interesting because like I think I also fell into the trap where I think of ESG, but I always think of the environmental part a bit more. But mm-hmm. um, even though my dissertation kind of showed that a high ESG um, firm has greater performance in the stock market, it actually showed from my results that the social part was actually the strongest one that contributed the most to that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's yeah, hard. That's, okay. Kind of, yeah, that's just kind of how I, I kind of got into the master's, got into sustainability. Um, so from a little spark when I was younger to forgetting about it um, and then kind of coming back to my roots in a way. I kind of like that that seems to and be the um, common thread for all of us. Sorry, Marie, sorry. Um, just that no, little spark that you have as a kid, like all of a sudden it feels like, I don't know, it feels like this like joyful thing that you get to bring back out, out of like the realities of adulthood and growing up and knowing you need to make money. Being able to say like, oh, I get to have that little thing back. Like to me, that's really... Yeah, absolutely. Also, I think. Sorry, go ahead. Um, so I was gonna say, like, to a certain extent, it. I think a lot of kids have this, you know, this interest in like the environment and nature, Mm -hmm. and then it's like somehow we're taught that like that's not the priority. That's not something that it matters as an adult. Mm -hmm. And I hope that to a certain extent that that's gonna change later on. You know, like that'd be so cool if kids grow up thinking that that's something that they get to keep in in their adult life. Mm, as as part of it because like that's not how our system works right now absolutely no i think you're absolutely right and i think that's exactly the point of this podcast like kind of bringing down those adult aspirations to what's really important Mm -hmm. and what's closer to the ground which is basically the environment the nature and the ecosystem in which we live and what i find interesting is that i think like the kid aspect and the sparkle aspect was like um an experience that I did not really have on my side. Cause That's I what I was going to ask. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I grew up in Madagascar, and for me, like, it was more part of the landscape, I would yes. say. Like, that was more something that was happening on a daily basis. And, you know, seeing, seeing land degradation, forest fires, or spread of diseases because of some environmental damages, that was just part of the of the daily routine of some of like the daily narrative of what's happening on the ground and for me it was more like this is just a way of living Mm -hmm. and it was um it was more actually growing up that I actually realized how how threatening that that lifestyle was I think like seeing it from a perspective of an issue rather than of a reality is kind of like having having a certain privilege of seeing it from that up from yeah. that lens, like no, I can actually be fully aware that this is actually a problem. But when I lived through it, I didn't really realize. So it was mostly like ga- gaining that awareness through like schools, through my experience at the University of Edinburgh, getting more insights. Um, that yeah, I just became more sensitized to my own reality because before it was more like 
this is obviously problematic, but this is also like just daily life. So I think kind of kind of being in that position right now of being able to see it as an opportunity to improve or anything like that, I think it's I think it's great. Yeah. I feel like that's an um, interesting... Oh, sorry, Chris. Sorry. Um, I, I know, think- I was going to say, it's, uh, it's like, I'll just kind of keep going here, but um, it's quite interesting that you kind of put it like that angle because for one of the blogs you wrote for university, I actually wrote on the Cape Town, the water crisis in Cape Town. Mm. And I kind of asked this question of like, is uh, climate change reality for you now or is it in 30 years time? Because I think from like my perspective, it always just feels like it's, it's there in the future, but you never, we're not quite, we haven't quite reached it yet. But then if you think of some cases like low-lying islands and those kind of things, like you're experiencing it now. Um, mm-hmm. So it's quite interesting that you also kind of mentioned that almost kind of from the educational side now, you ha- you, you now have a, the way you're thinking about the way you're thinking about it is like, okay, I'm going to improve a problem. It's you've not kind of just normalized with the reality around you. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I was just going to bring up this point where I think that, I mean, I don't want to generalize for everyone else, but I almost feel like my childish spark of like, you know, wanting to be some sort of environmental activist or just simply loving nature came more from a a less harmful, less threatening side. Mm-hmm. Whereas for you, it was more like, I was imagining that when you were saying like, oh, it was a part of like the cultural, you know, like the cultural background and tradition of my region. But instead, it's more like, no, like I've lived through these different types of environmental degradation. And mm-hmm. that was like, my reality or that was what I wanted to say whereas for me it felt more like fairy tale-esque I mm-hmm. almost want to say mm-hmm. to be like oh yes I want to go walk through some ancient wood right now you know and like howl at the moon or some shit like yeah. that is like that's definitely where it comes from for me so yeah. I just think it's like it's just um very grounded like it's it's it is unfortunate that it was that kind of exposure rather than just the exposure of being able to live in such a beautiful place mm-hmm. that made it so for you mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting because like i feel like i'm exactly in the middle of you two in the sense of like mm-hmm. when i was a kid and i created this like little club with my yeah. friend mm-hmm. we like that was definitely the same side of you as you danielle in the sense of like oh it's a little childish it's a little like me wanting mm-hmm. to do good but not having like a concrete reason for it you know yeah mm-hmm. and then i think when like as i grew up like i'm from the mountains, from the French Alps, and seeing all those glaciers getting destroyed, seeing like mountains literally collapsing mm. year after year because the permafrost is thawing and doesn't hold the mountains together anymore. Mm. It's like, then it becomes an urgency, I think, as you become an adult and, and you witness those things. Mm. Yeah. That's kind of how I lived it. And so for me now, it's like, it's really much, very much so like something that's like vital and like, it, I, I don't feel like it's, that childish part of me driving it anymore at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you guys feel about it. I think I'm still kind of in the middle where it's like half, almost half childish and half adult. The adult in me has taken this childish passion to like want to howl at the moon, want to like live in the woods and want to do whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and now like actually put the skills that I've been learning and the types of thinking that I appreciate to like fix problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's very interesting because I feel like I really started caring and see that it was actually something feasible when when like the social side and humans were also linked to the climate crisis because mm. um I feel like I mean that that may be like also like a human centric way of thinking about this which I understand but um before I think a lot of it was related to more like and 
like the nature like abstract nature rights, yeah, yeah abstract nature in complete dissociation from human livelihoods which for me i experienced it more like this is directly affecting some of the villages that i lived nearby some mm-hmm. of the food that i was eating on the day so that's why it seemed so distant for me back then so i feel like bringing more awareness on, on how the actual climate crisis is affecting different livelihood, livelihoods everywhere in the world and how it has this domino effect, that's how I realized that there's actually so much to do here. And that's where I think I really appreciate this kind of like childish sparkle or this fairy tale aspect because you see it from a more kind of like an opportunity to kind of act. Whereas I, before, before my experiences in uni and everything, I saw it more as like a doomed reality. Like more mm. like, okay, we're always going to talk about the climate. This is always going to be like some side things. We're planting trees. But we're never going to talk about the people that actually live in those conditions. So, yeah, like I think when we started talking more about people linking environmental and social issues together and seeing also like, as, as Chris mentioned, like the financial, the financial mar- markets kind of looking more into those issues. I think that's, that's very interesting to me. Yeah. And that's my place of power, I feel like. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people will resonate with that as well, where people are just like, oh, it's a doomed reality, as well as just like, how is this really going to affect people? Mm-hmm. And so I think that it's really good that we kind of have your perspective as well, because it will definitely, I think, ground some of the conversations and mm-hmm. topics we think about, um, especially because I think it's important that we're able to express to people who are in regions who aren't feeling these effects as deeply yet, just mm. what will happen, like mm. how we're all kind of interconnected mm. to sound a little spiritual. Uh, but yeah, 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 it's interesting. I think that that's kind of like a key part to it, because like if there are some people that don't, I guess, feel strongly about climate change, don't have the, let's say, almost like the emotional connection to it in one way. So yeah, the way I would almost phrase it as well is like what is the biggest problem that the world is facing um, and that is climate change and it's almost becoming it's not really becoming that discussion anymore it's it's like there's no real argument in the sense where it's now almost fully accepted um, mm-hmm. and it kind of in whatever thing you do whatever kind of career there in some way will be affected by climate change and as long as you are a problem solver it will have relevance to you um, yes. and I think the way that people I don't think everyone has to think they need to solve climate change, but as long as they can think that they can contribute a little bit to doing a good thing, um, there's a kind of benefit there. Good point. How about you, Chris? Like, I'm interested. What, like, where do you position yourself on like this, like child, like idealistic, let's say, to like very like grounded approach to your interest in climate change and solving it? I think that's quite quite a good question for you to think about. Um, I think. It's a tough one. I feel like I have maybe lost that kind of um, kind of childlike uh, uh, passion for it. Um, maybe it's just kind of broken down by the, the reality of the world. I also quite, I guess, like the, the realistic approach that I have, because I think it sometimes just kind of, I don't know, not takes away the emotion in the sense I didn't have any, because obviously I do care about it. But I think it does give me like a different um, pair of eyes to kind of look at the problem. Yeah. Um, and just kind of coming back to what we said before about kind of having this interest when you're young and also when you're older, because... I think especially now what's quite stressful for everyone is kind of finding a job, finding your c- career that's meant for you. And for me, it's also quite interesting how last year when I was thinking about like what masters to apply for, it was kind of like things coming full circle, remembering what I did when I was younger and kind of realizing that sometimes there are like little elements that we can draw upon. Um, so I think for me, I, I do probably have more of a, I want to say a realistic viewpoint towards the, the whole problem. But at the same time, I have kind of those things to draw upon from when I was younger 
Um, so like climate change for me was also not really something that I'd say I saw around me, but being from South Africa, I saw other things kind of like rhino poachings and things like that. Mm. Um, and then just kind of realizing that like nature is vulnerable and yes. still having kind of that um, from growing up kind of not doesn't dictate what I do now, but it still gives me like appreciation for like the problems that we face in that sense. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. So. It's so valuable Yeah, to like have that, I think like that, um, like rational approach to it. Cause like, Especially if you like look at like policymakers and whatnot, like the debates that happen sometimes in the space on like what is ethical instead of like what is practical is so counterproductive. Mm-hmm. And and there's so many like emotional stances that people in the field will take that in the end make the progress slower. Mm-hmm. And I wish more people had your approach, I think. Yeah, I think that is um, not to jump into politics too quickly, but <laughs> in in kind of like America for like the Republican Party right now, I think that is kind of where the argument almost has to be. I think it was probably like two years ago and I watched kind of like a mini documentary and what was quite interesting, um, I'm not sure what the person's name was, but it was a conservative kind of person. It was almost like a spokesperson for the Republican Party in a way. And what was interesting is that she was basically saying like the way to almost advertise or brand climate change to Republicans republicans those i guess who don't believe isn't on the ethical side the moral side it was just saying like the, even the economics now is starting to change mm-hmm. and that's how you almost convince them and then once you've convinced them of like the economics of saying like solar power is better than coal mm-hmm. then you can bring on the other layers of kind of like the external benefits onto that mm-hmm. um, and i thought that was quite, quite interesting because i think this argument doesn't work 20 years ago but now it's getting to that point where Mm-hmm. You have you have other avenues of convincing people of what needs to be done. Absolutely. And I think that goes on as well for like which solutions do you adopt? I think they are solutions that are like deemed less like sexy or mm-hmm. you know like yes. acceptable yes. by yeah. the wider public and though and then like politicians won't put those forward even though yeah. they might be more practical and actually be more beneficial at least in the short to medium term. Mm-hmm. Medium term, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think there's always a the arguments going from like, do you have nuclear? Do you not have nuclear? All these kind of things that you can almost get caught in, not not the semantics of it, but like the idea of like what you're arguing. You're, you're arguing more the idea than the reality of it. Um, and yes, the, yeah. the biggest thing I, I think that always is going to be relevant is just compromise. In in every sense, you're going to have to compromise because you're going to have to need a bit of everything. Yeah. No, that's very, <laughs> very interesting. Oh my gosh, I love that. I really like this kind of um, kind of dichotomy that you brought, uh, Mary, on uh, rational, like kind of rational thinking and emotional thinking and practicality and um, ethical values. Because I feel like, as you said, like it kind of slowed down how creative and innovative we can be about it, and it just kind of always um, puts us against each other instead of bringing us into the same sphere in in, in yes. the same sphere of thinking. I mean, like. We're all in this together. There's no like higher morality or lower morality on acting on this. We all have different ra- different interests at stake. Or obviously, we're gonna have different realities due to climate change. So I think like always advocating for the moral aspect of it is definitely like it's it's definitely a big part of it. But I think when it comes to being proactive and creating solutions for it, we definitely have to be open and acknowledge that feeling, but also like kind of not really move past it but seeing ways of bringing that kind of emotional side to the rational side and yeah just like 
finding like innovative ways of acting for for climate change which which I think this is what the podcast is going to be doing here yeah. it's going to bring our paths together and we're going to discuss solutions all over the world and I think this is got this is just exactly what what we're doing mixing the emotional and the rational together because we're human beings at the end of the day yeah I was gonna say uh, I that's like a lovely place to end it even so I really like hate to interrupt or like add something after but I find it really interesting the way that you guys almost view or define emotional because to me like as my personal motivation they're just so like you know so tightly intertwined so for me my passion to like do right by nature essentially that like almost that like moral or ethical code that i have to do right for the environment really pushes me to want to be rational and force other people to confront that some solutions that seem sexy are not as nice as they appear like it really pushes me to make even deeper research or like to really understand the like to understand a problem and its solution holistically to avoid further impacts. Mm. So I just find it really interesting like that it's mm. that you guys kind of see it almost as like a one versus the other or like a battle between the two because it's mm. definitely true to an extent, but I I do think it's about how you use it as yeah. well. Yeah, no, definitely. And I feel like sometimes just advocating on behalf of morality, it just it just pushing your reality in the face of someone else's reality and it might not be like that's where there's no space for dialogue yeah because you're not really understanding how climate change is so multidimensional for 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 a huge like for for multiple like diverse range of people yeah so i feel like this is so this is important to like redefine morality in the concept of climate change mostly that now we're we're finding new solutions we're understanding more what's at stake we have greater scientific knowledge about it so i feel like merging like the the public fear and also what the science has done to kind of create a new definition of morality and ethics for climate change is definitely super important yeah i think it's important to me to show that you can have it both ways mm. i think that's my big thing i want to show that like you can have that emotional aspect and mm. it can help mm. you come to like really good rational points as well mm. but yeah and what what I love is that we, we've all kind of come at this from like a completely different approach, but at the same time, we're here on the podcast together. Yeah, I think it's going to add some really good dialogue for um, some of the types of papers and topics that we're going to discuss. Like, it's really interesting. I feel like we're getting that holistic, multidimensional perspective yeah. that I love, yeah. you know, in yeah. problem solving. So yeah. I feel like it's really fun that it works out socially as well. Yeah. So I feel like this is a good place to ask what is everyone's hopes and dreams about this podcast and what 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 is really like your motivation for being here today? Good question. Um... Yeah, ha happy to jump in there. I, I, in a weird way, I think it's just almost me to like learn because um, I feel like I'm someone that comes from like a not very sustainable background and, and almost just kind of discussing ideas is the way for me to learn more kind of understand why I understand, but also get to know what other people know. Mm. Um, and I think it's also where we discuss kind of like what's happening at the moment and how people are discussing the topic of climate change. It will only help me as well to, to do it for the people. I mean, I think a big thing for the podcast for me is also finding a way of like how to discuss climate change, because I think a lot of the time it becomes an argument of me trying to prove you wrong. But yes. at the same time, yes. it's almost like learning together what is the right answer. Um, mm. And I'm sure someone has a fact that you didn't know and, and I've got a fact that the other person doesn't know and it's just kind of putting those two together mm. to really understand what the big picture is. Yeah. 
I really love that. I think that that's a lot of my motivations as well is to open up that sort of dialogue where it's not about who's right and who's wrong, but just to look at all the good points that are coming mm. from all these different perspectives. Mm. And I think that that relates back to my understanding and, you know, my desire to fulfill like systems thinking and that sort of holistic management. Mm. Um, I just really want to get a better understanding, you know, get as many viewpoints as possible about what are these potential solutions and then also what are their potential problems? Who are they hurting? Who are they helping? I, I think that that's something that will automatically arise just given our different understandings. So that's what I'm really excited for. Yeah, definitely. I think like for me, the down to earth podcast is definitely like bringing down those big concepts, those big words, renewables, mm -hmm. climate change, transition to the realities that we have here. We, ha we are like very different for individuals and we all share a very different approach to it. So I think when we're going to look at good news or good solutions and having our our input and see how does that really relate to different realities i think that's going to deconstruct what it really means when it's actually like in touch with with the humans with the individuals so it's kind of like bringing bringing Taking it from the ivory tower exactly. and like bringing it down to earth yes exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. yeah 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 i think for me i mean obviously i totally agree with all your points on um, like learning about it I think it's also when you're doing a master's and you're so busy mm. it's a good way to push ourselves and force ourselves to learn to learn about these initiatives and all yes. these things which is also really exciting mm. um, but for me I think another big point is is that there's so many podcasts out there that you know will like explain to you what climate change is explain mm. to you that it is real mm. but then I think a lot of people and now we are at a point where most people will acknowledge that that's the case and that it is urgent, but most people don't know how do you solve it? Exactly. exactly. What are the problems? How do you solve it? What are the action points? What are the impacts of different initiatives? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's, that's what I'm hoping to bring in here. It's like a bit of hope and a bit of practicality to solving such a big question that, see, that sometimes it seems insolvable. Yeah. That yeah. bit of hope is that so essential. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's so essential given the fact that I feel like we were a little bit inundated with the negative aspects and the harsh realities mm. of climate change early on in the Masters. It was kind of like, things suck. So yeah. I think that that's really, it's good to bring this side of it into it as well, to be well-rounded. Yeah, and it's a great way of using our knowledge as well. We're so privileged to have access to like amazing courses, like amazing people around that mm -hmm. we can just gain so much knowledge about how to act about it, yeah. you know, like how to solve things. And I think this is this is a really good way to share a bit what we've learned all yeah. together. So yeah, that's nice. Absolutely. Definitely. Thank you guys for joining us. I hope you had as much fun as we did. We are definitely excited to share way more initiatives with you, sustainability innovations happening in developing countries and adding a nice perspective from Imperial College students for us to discuss and for you to gain some insights. Um, yeah, let's get down to earth all together and I hope you have a great week.